appreciate your prayers. Our family theme today is that Jesus displays his power. Our objective is that we would trust in his sovereignty and allow him to give us the peace that we need every day of our lives. We'll be in Matthew chapter 8 this morning, and we've got two key truths. Number one, uh, Jesus uses his power to serve God's purposes. Number two, Jesus demonstrates his power to those who have faith in him. Now, I need to ask you this morning again, sort of a rhetorical question, uh, one we've asked quite often, what can Jesus do? Anytime that's right. Anything he wants at any time. He has that much power. Now, it's kind of interesting, and we're going to see it played out in our lesson this morning as we go through it. Uh, we know that Jesus, in his ministry, attracted a lot of crowds. Isn't that true? Why do you think that was? <laughs> yes, he did. Now, it's also interesting. Now, we know he came to seek and to save those who were lost. But did Jesus always want to attract big crowds? Is that why he came? No, not at all. So we're going to find out. Anyway, let's do a connect. We live in a world where people want to have power. So my question is, think of what kind of people, name some people who have power in our world today. President, okay. Kings, we could talk about that as well. But what kind of power do they have? Oh, I like that. You said limited, Wayne. Why do you say that? Yeah, they, they, can, they can't do any more than we can do. Now, but do they act like that sometimes? <laughs> they, they think they have what? Unlimited power. And, you know, I, I like how you answered that, Wayne, because that is true. It's limited power. And it reminds me of when Jesus stood before Pilate. And Pilate asked Jesus several questions, and Jesus didn't answer. And finally, Pilate said, Do you, don't you realize that I have the power to have you crucified or let you go? What did Jesus say to him? You don't have any power except what my Father gives you. So his power was limited and the same is true in our world today now again if we're going to talk about the power that the power that jesus has is his power limited no he's all powerful but today lord willing we're going to see the way jesus used his power here in matthew chapter 8 and what the way he lived with his power what it teaches us about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, again, unlimited power. Uh, all authority was given to him in heaven and earth. Our first key truth is this. Jesus uses his power to serve God's purposes. We're going to read the first four verses of Matthew 8. We're going to skip down to verse 14 through 34. And then in our next section, we'll come back and pick up those verses in between. So let's read Matthew 8, 1 through 4.
Let's skip down to verse 14 and read down through verse 34. Thank you, Dan. Isn't it amazing the power that Jesus has? Now think about this. I'm going to ask you a real hard question, okay? So put your thinking caps on. We're in chapter 8. What chapter comes before chapter 8? 
you'll get good, chapter 7. Now, in chapter 5, Jesus went upon the mountain. And that's where he began the Beatitudes, teaching in that Sermon on the Mount, including the Beatitudes. Chapter 7 is the last of that Sermon on the Mount, and now he comes off of that mountain. And again, the Bible says when he come off that mountain, multitudes, meaning what? A lot of people followed him. And so you mentioned, we somebody said it earlier, it's his ministry at this point in his ministry. He was attracting large crowds. And, of course, most of them wanted what? Healing, okay? Now, can Jesus heal? Yes. But that was not his main purpose in coming to this world. And it's interesting here. His purpose was not to attract large crowds. So in the first few verses there, there was a man with leprosy. What in the world was leprosy? Say it again, Cheryl. A horrible disease. Pam, what did you say? Sores all over. And leprosy that we read in our English Bibles uh, could refer to several different types of skin diseases. Now, if you know anything about the Old Testament in uh, Exodus and mainly Leviticus, mainly, uh, there is a uh, prescription of what they had to do if you suspected that. And you'd go to the priest and he would inspect the sore on your arm or whatever it may be. And you come back a week later, if it had a certain change in it, and uh, or if it didn't change, they'd declare you clean. If not, you were declared a leper. So what was the cure for leprosy? There was no cure. This, this wasn't. And so I'm, try, I'm just thinking right now, and I could be wrong. I doubt that. But anyway, I'm kidding. Uh, the only... That's enough, Alan. The, the only time I remember of somebody curing leprosy was when Elijah did it for Naaman. And again, a very unusual time, but uh, he did that. But normally, once you had been declared a leper by the priest, how did you spend your life? rest of your life, unless it somehow was healed, uh, you know, naturally, whatever. But for the most part, you spent the rest of your lives. Now, it's interesting. The crowds were there. But this leprous person, he comes to Jesus, and he says to Jesus, I know If you will, you can make me clean. Think about that. What do we see about this leper? What's what's he showing us here? He believed that Jesus could. He didn't command him to. He said, I just know if if you will, you can make me clean. So what did Jesus do? He healed him. He healed him. And then he says, go tell everybody. No, not at all. He said, don't tell anyone. Just go and show yourself to the priest. Why in the world would he say that? 
Yes. Now think about this. He didn't want this man to tell the crowd. But I do want you to go tell the priest. Now we know there's a reason for that. It, it fulfilled the law, of course. And Jesus not, didn't come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill it. And you had to go. Only the priest could de- declare you clean. But Jesus also knew. Probably the priest might have had a question for this leper. What do you think? What do you think he might have asked him? Yeah. How did it happen? And so, I think it's very probable this miracle was not for the crowd. It was for who? For the priest. To know that one had come who could heal leprosy. We talked about limited power before. As far as we know, well, we know, did the priest have power to cure leprosy? No. Now, all they could do was condemn you. Or if it healed naturally, they could say, you're cleansed now. You can join uh, back into social life. They couldn't even go to church, I mean, for lack of a better word. Uh, They couldn't do that. So all they could do is declare them whole again. So again, I think this miracle was, was not for the crowd, but it was for the priest. Christ had come, the one who could take care of this. And think about this. Unlike human people, humanity, human people, they're all human, okay, I guess. They may not act like it. But unlike humanity, think about some of these preachers nowadays and their healing ministries or what they're doing. Normally, who are they drawing attention to? To themselves. But Jesus wasn't into that. In fact, his purpose was not in making a name for himself. Don't go tell anyone. And we have to understand that God gives us power not to draw people to us. But he gives us power that we might do his service in this world. It's about doing the will of God and serving others in his name. Not to glorify ourselves, but to bring glory to God. And another purpose that Jesus had was to demonstrate the love that he had for mankind. Now think about the story here. And again, a true story, this leper comes. And what's he need? He needs healing. He needs somebody to have compassion on him. And by the way, you've got to give this guy credit. Because he broke the norm, he he come to Jesus. Now, most people, when they saw this leper coming, would do what? Uh, <laughs> run as fast as they could. Get away from this. And this leper comes... And Jesus had compassion on him. Why did Jesus have compassion? Yeah. How many know Jesus loves people? He loves people. And then in verses 14 through 17, 
a lot of people are coming. A lot of them are demon-possessed. And what does Jesus do for them? He heals them. He casts out those demons by the power of his word. And, and guess what? When he says to a demon, go, what's got to happen? It goes. It has to go. And so there in those verses we find a lot of examples of the compassion of Jesus. We find his purpose of meeting our needs. And also it reminds me that Jesus cares about our suffering. He cared about the leper. He cared about all those who came for healing there. And he came to do something about our suffering. But we can't forget that his overall purpose in coming was to redeem us from the consequences of sin. And what is the consequence of sin? Death. Now in verse 17, Matthew quotes from Isaiah 53, where Isaiah prophesied about a Messiah who would suffer for our sins. And of course, again, Matthew realizes and this identified Jesus as that Messiah and the healer of the people, the one we've been waiting for. A question we hear a lot of times in our world about the power of Jesus. Well, why why doesn't he do something about the suffering in the world? Well, the answer is simple. He did. He did. Now, we know he healed a lot of people during his ministry here on earth. But his ultimate purpose was not to heal us of our physical diseases, but to heal us of our spiritual disease. And that is sin. Matthew records that he cast out demons by his word. And do you understand that Satan is our adversary? And he attacks us to spite the Lord Jesus Christ. You know if you serve in God, Satan does not like you. In fact, he didn't like you either way. But he really doesn't want us serving the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's what's interesting. These people, a lot of them came, they were demon-possessed. Was Jesus afraid of those demons? No. No. Many of them, probably for many years, we don't know for sure. And Jesus cast out those demons. So what... What were those demons able to do to get Jesus off track? Nothing. And those people who were demon-possessed, Jesus came 
and he gave them spiritual victory. Now keep this in mind. Many were healed. In fact, all that says here in Matthew said, all that came to him that day, that evening, he healed them. All that came who were demon-possessed, he cast out those demons. He brought physical healing. He gave them spiritual victory for those that needed it. But also understand, Jesus came and died to bring about our ultimate victory. Victory for our entire person, our physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. Now think about this. We're not told, Matthew doesn't tell us how many people came that day. There were multitudes of them. And Christ either healed them or cast out demons, whatever it was. But all of those people would eventually die. They would eventually die. Why? Why? Do, do what now? Well, why don't they live forever? Well, not Jesus. But what caused that? Sin. The consequences of sin. It's appointed a man wants to do what? To die. And after that, the judgment. So how many know? And again, we're just totally healed many of their sicknesses. We don't know what each one had. doesn't matter. didn't matter what it was. He healed them from it. He cast out the demons. He was able to do that. So our greatest enemy is death. That is the greatest enemy. And the good news is Jesus came to do something about that. Because, <coughs> excuse me, he died on the cross. He was there on Calvary. He took the judgment for all of our sins. He paid the price for our sins. That's what the Bible teaches. He suffered in our place. And because of what he did on Calvary, whosoever will come to him can have eternal life. So he died on Calvary. They buried him in a tomb. And what happened the third day? He rose. He was victorious over death. And so now, the hope of our redemption is through his resurrection and ours. Because one day, one glorious day, we're going to have life in the new heaven and on a new earth. A, a place where there's be no more death. Revelation talks about that. No more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. And what Jesus wanted the people to know then and us to know now, he has the power not just to heal our sicknesses, but the power to transform our eternal existence. Think about that. Think about the power he had, and he meets our greatest need. And my friend, that's the redemption of our souls. And Jesus said, because he lives, we will live also. And by the way, what kind of power does he have? All power. And he's telling me if I die, guess what? I'll live again. I will live again.
So when we think about the power of God, and, and by the way, let me something else that came to my mind. Not only did uh, Pilate uh, ask Jesus, you know, do you not realize I can I could put you to death or let you go? When Jesus, I think when Jesus went before Herod, Herod hope, hoping to see some kind of miracle. He'd heard about a lot, and Herod was really wanting a sideshow. Show me something. Was Jesus all about that? No. No. So when we think about the power of God, even Jesus used it to serve God's purposes. And it's interesting, how many times do you read in the Gospels where Jesus would see a multitude of people and the gospel writer said he was moved with compassion. What does that mean? He's got a heart for people. He's got a heart for you and I. And so, the best thing for this world, for anybody, is to know God. And to know God in all of his glory, to worship him as the one true God. And yet, even though he came down to us from heaven, he put on flesh, we have to remember God's not like us. He's not been tainted by sin. He is holy, holy, holy. And what's interesting Jesus demonstrated the power of God to give people what they really need. And my friend, what we really need is God as our God. More than anything else in this world. He... uh, displayed his miraculous power in verses 18 and 22. There came some people with some questions. One was a scribe. Anybody know what a scribe was? Any thought about that? They were the lawyers of the day. They interpreted the law. And almost every time we read about a scribe in the New Testament and Jesus, what's the deal? Yeah, usually negative. They're, they're opposing Jesus, okay? Trying to catch him in an, an, an illegality, if you will. But not this time. This scribe comes to Jesus. I will follow you everywhere. I will follow you everywhere. And then there was a the Bible is another disciple of Jesus who said the same thing. But he said, first, let me go and bury my father. Now, think about the reply of Jesus. Now, he's not being mean. But he tells the scribe, the inference here to the scribe is, you have no idea what you're getting into. If you're going to follow me, 
really follow me, you have to realize the foxes have a place to sleep, the birds have a nest, but what about me, Jesus said. I've got no place. Now, of course, the scribe being who he was, I would at least thought he would have understood his quite, what, what he was saying to Jesus because in that day and time, and when you followed a rabbi, that means you went where he went, you ate where they ate, you lived where they lived, you want to know their everyday movements. And Jesus is saying to the scribe, you have no idea what it might cost you to follow me, which you might have to give up. Now, it's also interesting. It doesn't mean that Christ is going to require we all give everything up. But it means that he comes first and everything else comes what? Second. He comes first and everything else comes second. The disciple who said the same thing said to Jesus, let me bury my father. Now, again, we can't be 100% sure, but most scholars believe he is, his father was not going to die in the next few days. But he was saying, let me wait till my father's gone, and then I will come and follow you. And Jesus says to him, let the dead bury the dead. And of course, he's talking about the spiritually dead. Okay? Now, the whole point of what Jesus is saying is this. He's trying to draw those folks away from an earthly, temporary set of priorities. He is saying, in fact, if you're going to follow me, I have got to be number one in your priorities. Everything else has to come second. And I find it kind of interesting. He told the scribe he didn't have a place to even lay his head. Means what? No permanent house. Didn't have a lot of money, if any at all, except just to get by with. And boy, we hear some of these preachers today on TV, and what do they tell you? God wants you to be what? Be rich. Sow that seed of faith. I mean, God wants you to be rich. Now, he may, but he may not. But the whole point is, we've got to get our mind off of these temporary priorities and set our mind on heaven. <laughs> I, uh, I confess this morning, the older I get, the more I realize how important this is. I mean, I, I can't believe I'm already 50. <clears throat> okay, add a couple more years to that, all right? But can you believe it? And yet this life is so short. But what about eternity? How long is that? And we're going to spend eternity. We got, that's why we've got to not focus on this temporary world. And we've got to remember this world is not our home. We're just what? We're just passing through. We are just passing through. Now, keep in mind, Christ is drawing all these crowds. And he could have hired a uh, publicity manager. 
And by the way, the big ministry do that. He could have bought him a couple of private jets. I mean, he had reason to, right? He had these multitudes to serve. But my friend, he didn't draw that stuff. To, he didn't accumulate earthly possessions. And like you said, Dan, he didn't have a house of his own. He didn't have a place to lay his head. And while we may not do it to, to the degree some people do, I think sometimes we get so caught up, we're concerned about earthly pleasures. And I look at these verses before us today, and I'm reminded that when Jesus Christ came, he wasn't there to advance a world that's passing away. He knew that. That the world is going to pass away. He knew that this life is temporary. But he came to shift our focus on the spiritual purpose of why we're here to begin with. And that's to serve him. So he heals them and finally says, you know what? To the, we need to get away from here for a while. So <laughs> they, they, they get in the boat. And Jesus takes a nap. What happened? What kind of storm, I wonder? <laughs> I, I have never been on anything much bigger than a, uh, a ferry, I guess. We went to Niagara Falls one time. And I used to ferry across the rivers a couple of times. Uh, never been on a boat like that. But uh, what were the disciples afraid of? And what's Jesus doing? He's sleeping. So they go waking him up and say, Master, we're dying. I think Mark adds, don't you care that we're perishing? So Jesus kind of stretches and gets that. What's he say? What happened? The winds calmed down. And I find it interesting here because not only did Jesus come for the grand purpose of redemption, but he also demonstrates his power to meet our needs here now. And did the disciples need him that day? Absolutely. And he speaks the word. And the seas calm. How did it affect the disciples? What did they say? Yeah. Have they ever seen it before like that? No. So they get to the other side of the sea. And Matthew says that there were two demon-possessed men there. And they lived among the tombs. And I remember years ago, I would, when I read that, I would think of a cemetery with tombstones. That's not what it is. Uh, people would carve caves into the sides of a mountain or a hill. And the more money you had, the bigger your tomb was. And that tomb may have had compartments for your family, whatever. And so they were considered a place of demons, uh, a place of unfit people. And these two demon-possessed men lived among those tombs. And we have uh, different gospel accounts of this, and uh, they were so violent and 
horrible. Uh, nobody come close to them. They were afraid of them. Uh, we know that uh, they, they tried at times to bind them. And what happened? They broke them. Okay. And uh, anyway, with one word, he cast out those demons. And there happened to be a herd of pigs nearby. The other gospel tells us there were about 2,000. And right away, the demons... And Jesus asked him, what's your name? And our name is Legion. We are many. They recognized Jesus, did they not? And they said, what, what are you doing here? I'm paraphrasing now. Our time is not yet. And so they said, if you will let us, let us go into that herd of pigs. What are they saying? What are they asking Jesus? I thought they were powerful. I thought, demon, I thought Satan had power. Wayne said, not over Jesus. Not at all. If you, do, if you don't mind, let us go into them pigs. And Jesus simply said, what? Go. What happened to the pigs? Drown. Now, I realize uh, because we're dealing with ears for the most part, Jews in the New Testament, we don't read about pig shepherds. Because pigs were unclean animals. Yeah, exactly. Is that right? Okay. I didn't really, Yeah. That's interesting. But anyway, there were there was people guarding these pigs. So what are they thinking? We in trouble now. They were under our care. But anyway, again, the power that Jesus had in one word. He cast out those demons. And by the way, how many know that all Satan wants to do is to kill and destroy? And what do those demons do to those pigs? They destroyed him. And that's what Satan wants to do in our life. But with one word, Jesus cast them out. His power can give us confidence to serve him with great confidence in our lives. How much time have I got left, Jason? Okay, good. My question is this. Repeat again. What power did Jesus have? All power. Okay. Did he have the power to establish an earthly kingdom? Yes. In fact, on at least one occasion, Jesus kind of disappeared through the crowd because he knew if he stayed, they'd try to make him a king. Okay, we had to, we know he had the power to do it. Why didn't he do it? It simply was not his purpose. That was not his purpose. Does Jesus have the power to give us all the worldly goods? Yes. But why didn't he? 
and hear me well, and get it down now, his purpose is not for comfort in his life. That's not why he came. That's not why he came. <clears throat> he came to establish an everlasting kingdom. A kingdom of one day we will rule and reign with him. In fact, earlier in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, Jesus says, don't lay your treasures up here in this earth. Why? <laughs> they could rot away, be decayed. The stock market plunge tomorrow. He said, the best thing is to lay your treasures where? In heaven. Where they cannot be destroyed. He also said in Matthew 6, we can't serve God and mammon. That means worldly goods at the same time. We've got to make a choice. So in spite of what a lot of preachers teach today, the power of Jesus Christ is not about doing better in this world. It's about far more than that. The power of Christ is about fulfilling a purpose that transcends this world and looking for a world to come. And I pray that we would allow what we know about Christ to shape the way we live every day, that our lives would honor Him in what we say and what we do. So application simply this. Believe that Jesus Christ has the power to accomplish his will. Let's go ahead and read Matthew 8, verses 5 through 13 real quick. We've got a few minutes left yet. Thank you, Dan. What's a centurion? Okay, and a Roman. He's a Gentile. We don't know how he heard about Jesus. Somehow he did. We don't know whether he had any Jewish training at all. 
But he came to Jesus. He said, Lord, I've got a servant that's sick. Why did he come? Say it again. Meaning why? He believed what? That Jesus could do it. And Jesus said, I'll come. You've got faith. Jesus said, I'll come. You believe me, I'll come. And their servant said, you don't need to come. He said, I'm a man of authority as well. And I say to one, go, and he goes. One, come, he comes. And he says, Lord, if you'll just say the word. What does that mean? Now, understand, I think that centurion said, you know, I've got authority, but you got what? More authority. i got to tell him to come and go. You just say the word. And Jesus is amazed this time. And this is the invitation for you and I. Many will come from the east and the west, and we will sit down with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So Jesus said, it's what you ask, and his servant was healed. And by the way, uh, the other gospel writers tell us when the centurion went home, he wasn't doubting. His question was, what time did the healing come? <laughs> and you know what he realized? It was the same hour that Jesus said that word. Folks, we serve a risen Savior. He's very powerful. And he's given us power on this earth not to bring glory to ourselves, not to gain treasures for ourselves, but to prepare us for eternal life in heaven. That is his purpose in this world. Next week, chapter 9, and we're going to look at Jesus being our healer. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Father, we love you today, and we thank you for who you are. What a privilege to serve an amazing Savior. And Father, I realize that while you didn't come purposely and primarily, may I say, Lord, to heal us, we know you can heal us, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we'll allow you to meet us at the point of our need, and we give the glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.